And as I prepared for today, here's the one of the things that's come to mind. And it's a truth that I think will inform what we're going to be talking about today and looking at today. And it's simply this. That we will never be passionate about something that we take for granted. It's just a fact. It's a truth that affects all our lives. If we take something for granted, we'll never be passionate about it. And it's something that I've found true in my life on, on many different occasions. I remember when I did have my appendicitis, which I told you about a few weeks ago, after I recovered from that, because my appendix had actually burst and had proceeded to spread everything around my body, I actually had to go back in for another operation four days later because I had had a series of abscesses because it was all starting to collect around my body. And I'll never forget it because, A, I didn't want to go back in. And I just remember saying to Emma, don't take me back. Don't let me go back there. But I also remember Emma being really cruel to me the night before. And I want to tell you about it because it's, it's fun for me. Um, and the night before the operation, here's what they said. They said, look, your operation is 8 o'clock in the morning. And so you must not drink after midnight. Make sure you don't drink after midnight so you're prepared for the operation. And so Emma decided that she was going to be guardian of water throughout the night. And so she asked me at about 11.30pm, you know, do you want to drink a water? Because, you know, after 12 you can't have any. And I'm like, babe, I'm fine. I don't really need any water at all, but thanks for checking in. 11.59, she asked me again, just to let you know, at midnight there will be no more water because ready for your operation. But just wondered, do you want a drink? And I'm like, I'm really fine. I don't feel any need for water. I feel fine, thank you. Well, I kid you not, as soon as the clock ticked to 12, bing, I felt a desperate thirst in my mouth. And I'm like so thirsty, it's like a desert in my mouth. Now I know that I can't have it. I'm like, Emma, can I I have a drink of water? And she's like, sorry, it's midnight, so there's no more water. And she would not let me have any water, but I craved water all night. I'll never forget that night of my life. I would wake up about every half an hour just thinking, I'm so dry, I just need something. I I was desperate for water. If you asked me at 11.59 p.m., Are you passionate about water? I would have said, of course not. There's loads of it. I can take it whenever I want. But when you take it away, I suddenly found how passionate about water I was. I craved it. I I wanted it. And I learned that you will never be passionate about something you take for granted. I've got my brother here today. That's why a few people have said, that guy looks just like you. It's true. It's because he's my brother. And I remember when we were kids growing up in Spalding, and there's not a lot to do in Spalding. They didn't even have a Maccas until I actually moved away. And so, so we grew up in Spalding, and the only thing they did have was a swimming pool. And because I'm three and a half years older than my brother, one of the things I thought I liked doing and would enjoy doing is going to the swimming pool and trying to drown Andrew. Because I thought that was fun, and I was bigger than him at the time, so I thought, I'll keep doing this. So on Sunday afternoon, we'd go to the swimming baths, and I'd say, Andrew, we should jump in. And he's like, yeah, we should jump in. I'm like, I know, we should jump in. So I'd jump in, and then I'd jump on his shoulders. And I used to love it, because he would change colour and everything, and he'd be trying to get up, and I'd just be like, Andrew, you're going to die down there. I just really found it interesting. I did have issues, I'll give you that. But I just found it interesting of what would take place. If you said to Andrew before that moment, are you passionate about air? He would have said, you're a weirdo. What do you mean am I passionate about air? Of course I'm not passionate about air. It's, it's there and it's everywhere. But when I took his face and I put it underwater, if you could have said to him in that moment, are you passionate about air? I think he would have been saying, yes! We're never going to be passionate about something we take for granted. And that's why today I want to look at the Sunday gathering. The gathering that we do every week. 
Because the Sunday gathering is something we can grow incredibly familiar with, isn't it? For many people, it's something you'll have done hundreds, if not thousands of times. Worked out this week, I will have without doubt been been to over 2,500 services in my life. 2,500 times I will have stood up, sang some songs, I'll have heard some church news, I'll have heard the preach word, I'll have drunk coffee, I'll have spent time with people. And the challenge is when you do something so much is it's very easy to grow familiar with it, isn't it? To forget why we're even doing this. And when we forget that, We start to take it for granted, and when we take it for granted, we'll never be passionate about it. And yet today I believe God wants to minister to our hearts, because I believe he wants us to be passionate about Sunday mornings. I believe God wants to envision us afresh and invigorate us afresh, really what we are doing here and what is happening as biblically defined. And I believe it is God's desire that we would not be familiar with Sunday mornings, but that we'd start to see that these are the dearest time of the week and the dearest place on earth. The dearest place on earth is what Charles Haddon Spurgeon called the local church. And I believe the Sunday gathering is the dearest time of the week for the dearest place on earth. And when you see what's taking place biblically in this time, I think it changes everything. So let's read together Hebrews 10, from verse 19 through to 25 before we pray. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Lord, your word is indeed breathed out by you. Your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. And so, Lord, I pray, would your word do what it needs to do this morning in our hearts? Would it speak to us? Would our eyes be opened? Would we not leave any one of us feeling the same about the Sunday gathering than we do in this moment? For those that may have never studied it theologically, would we be amazed as we consider what is happening when we gather And for those that may have heard this before, already understood why we gather, would we have fresh eyes to see the wonder of what is taking place? Would we be kids around your word today with you as Father? In Jesus' name, Amen. As we look today at the Sunday gathering, I can think of no greater text for us to be in than this one, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. You see, it's here that the writer reminds us of the profound importance of not forsaking to meet together. The profound importance of not easily neglecting from actually gathering as a church. For these guys, that would have meant in a synagogue on a Sunday. For us, it means now gathering around the world in local churches. And yet his point is clear, don't forsake meeting together. But the thing that's so great about these verses, I think, is he not only states that, he makes it clear why 
he explains for us in one long sentence, which, what, which is what we just read from verse 19 to the end of 25. We've got lots of full stops, but it's not so in the Greek. It's one long sentence as he's getting excited and communicating to them about the importance and priority of the Sunday gathering. And in this, then, one long sentence, he explains for us why it is so important that we not forsake meeting together. Why it is so important, as biblically defined, that we gather at all. I mean, Christians do it every week, don't they? But I wonder how many Christians, if you put a microphone in their mouth and said, why do you do this, as biblically defined, would be able to answer that. So why do we gather? Well, this writer to the Hebrews wonderfully tells us there's three things, three points that I want to draw out of this text then this morning. And here's the first. Why do we gather? Number one, we gather to encounter God. I mean, that's something we hear a lot, right? Because we're in a church. But just forget you've ever heard it before for a moment. And let me say it again. We gather to encounter God. That's incredible. It's what he says here in verses 19 through 22. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, And our bodies washed with pure water. You know, the reality of these verses is staggering, isn't it? And when we gather as a local church, we gather to encounter God. We gather to meet with Him. In Jewish history, this would be the great high priest once a year going into the Holy of Holies on behalf of the nation to offer sacrifices before the Lord. But not so now as a church. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, having been washed clean by his sacrifice, the curtain is now being made open. And when we gather as a local church, which is why he says, dear brothers, it's why it's one long sentence and he talks about at the end, not forsaking meeting together. When we gather as a local church, we gather to encounter God. We gather to encounter the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. See, whilst this is no doubt true for individuals, the emphasis here in this writer is on our corporate expression of that. Dear brothers, don't forsake meeting together. Why? Because when you gather, you gather in the very presence of God himself. Where two or more are gathered together, God himself gathers with them. That is unique and incredible and profound and it is the reality. Just two pages time. Hebrews chapter 12, you can look there. In Hebrews chapter 12 verses 22 to 24, he says this. In 18 through 21, he's talking to us about the experience of Israel under the old covenant. How hard it was for them to encounter God and how fearful it was for them to do that. But then he says this in verse 22. But you meaning you Christians, us, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable innumerable angels in festal gatherings and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect 
and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. He's helping us see, look, in the Old Testament, they would attach themselves to Mount Zion, but they would be fearful. They were aware if an unclean animal touched the mountain by accident, they would be struck dead. It was a fearful thing to approach God. But not so for you. When you gather, you gather with people in the heavenly realms, people that have gone before you, and angels and festal gatherings, and your voice is joined with those in the heavenly realms because you get to gather before the throne of grace himself. You get to stand before God as a people. William Lane, in his wonderful commentary on Hebrews, he says this about chapter 12. He says, In sharp contradistinction from the scene at Sinai, Every aspect of this vision provides encouragement for coming boldly into the very presence of God. The atmosphere at Mount Zion is festive. The frightening visual imagery of blazing fire, darkness and gloom fades before the reality of the city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem. The cacophony of whirlwind, trumpet blast and the sound of words is muted and replaced by the joyful praise of angels and a festal gathering. The trembling congregation of Israel, gathered solemnly at the base of the mountain, is superseded by the assembly of those whose names are permanently inscribed in the heavenly archives. That's us. An overwhelming impression of the unapproachability of God is eclipsed in the experience of full access to the presence of God and of Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Is that not incredible? When you actually see what is happening as biblically defined, not what we think is happening, but what is happening, you start to realize that the Sunday gatherings are something out of this world. When we gather to sing praises to the Lord, when we gather as his people, when we gather around the word, we are joining in the heavenly realms with the festal gatherings with those standing before the throne of grace. My friends, when you gather as Sunday mornings as Sovereign Grace Church, what do you see? Do you just see a facility? A stage? Do you just come in and wonder, oh, I wonder who's leading today? Oh, he's my favourite. I never liked Dave leading anyway. Oh, I wonder who's preaching. Oh, oh, it's that guy again. I was hoping he might be a visitor. Oh, I wonder who I can see this morning. There's lots of people, there's lots of my friends. Oh, I've got invites to give out. I need to get around. When you gather on a Sunday morning, what do you see? Because in the Bible, this writer to the Hebrews wants us to realize that when we gather, we are part of a heavenly reality. Our voices are joining with the heavenly host, singing around the throne of grace. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, having been sprinkled clean, we get to approach him in all his holiness and all his majesty. And we get to truly encounter him. We get to come into the very presence of God himself. That's staggering. See, please don't misunderstand me here. It's not that we can't approach God when we're by ourselves. It's not like we can't come into God's presence when we are by ourselves. God is present everywhere, isn't he? Where can you go outside of the presence of God? He's always present everywhere. And yet what this writer and so many other writers are trying to help us see as a church is that although we can indeed come into the presence of God by ourselves, 
there is something unique that happens when people gather. Because when we gather, he is especially present in a unique and different way. Donald Whitney then says it this way, I think so helpfully. He says, God will manifest his presence to you in congregational worship in ways you can never even know the most glorious secret worship. That's because you're not only a temple of God as an individual, but the Bible says, and far more often, that Christians collectively are God's temple. For God manifests his presence in different ways to the living stones of his temple when they are gathered than he does to them when they are apart. It's no wonder then that this writer looks at each of us in our eyes and says, listen, do not then forsake meeting together. Why? Because when you gather, you gather in the presence of God himself. When you join together in others, God is with you. When you gather, you get to encounter God. We get to encounter him in song, don't we? See, our singing, it's not like we're singing like really well and God says, oh, that's so, that singing sounds so beautiful. I'll come down and have a listen. It just doesn't work like that. That's seeing singing actually as legalism, as a work to get us to God. Singing never gets us to God. Jesus gets us to God. But then in God's presence, we get to sing to him and we get to encounter him in the words of the songs and we get to encounter him through the Holy Spirit as we indeed sing. That's not the only way we encounter God when we gather. We also encounter God in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I was thinking about that some more this week. So the gifts of the Holy Spirit are wide and diverse gifts given to us and empowered by God for the common good. Everybody who's a Christian is given a gift by the Lord to help us build the church up for the common good. And one of the ways I think we experience God in particular is through the gift of prophecy. Because it's the gift of prophecy that helps us to understand that a God who is truly present everywhere, in an experiential way through prophecy, we get to realize He's here. In a tangible way, in a palpable way, we understand God is with us. It's exactly what they were experiencing in the Corinthian church, that sense that God is with us. Why was that? Well, because they're experiencing the gift of prophecy. And I'd have to say I've experienced that many, many times in my life. Prophecy, a human report of a divine revelation, as Sam Storm says. A spontaneous, clear, and specific word from God that is reported as a human, but nonetheless is a divine revelation. That is the gift of prophecy. And when you encounter it, you can't help but realize God is imminent in his presence. You know, when you're at a conference and Bob Coughlin starts to play away on his piano and the two and a half thousand people there, and he says, you know what, i just got a sense that there's someone here called Annie and you're blind. And I believe God's got a prophetic word for you. The first thing everybody does is go, oh, I hope Annie's here. Otherwise, this is going to be an awkward, embarrassing moment. And then when a young girl puts her hand up and says, that's me. And you notice she has a stick in her hand because she's blind. And then Bob starts to sing a prophetic word to her. 
And it's a song really from the Lord that the first eyes that she will see will be the Saviour's. But the first eyes that she will truly see will be his eyes on that day when he calls her home. It's not only Annie affected in that moment. There are 2,499 other people that are in tears around the room because they're aware God is here. God is with us. He's near. He's close. When somebody comes up to the microphone and says, you know what, I... I just have a sense that there's somebody here today and you've lost somebody close to you. But in the midst of your loss, God wants to meet with you and change your life. And then at the end of the meeting, you get to encounter a guy that's in tears that says, you know what, that was me. I'm not a Christian, but my ex-wife died this week. I've had to come back to Newport to look after these two children who I don't know very well, but they're now in my care. But now I realize God is in this place. Tell me about him. And you have the joy of baptizing him six weeks later, all because he encountered God in that meeting. It's not only that guy that's affected by that. The whole church is affected as they realize, yes, God is present everywhere, but he's here. When we gather, something happens. You wouldn't want to be the guy that went shopping the week that Bob Coughlin came out with his prophetic word for Annie, would you? You wouldn't want to be hearing about it. You'd think, I want to be there. I want to experience this moment. Prophetic word brings God imminent. And no wonder then that the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. And then just in case they haven't got it, although I think it's very clear, 38 verses later he says, So then, brothers... Eagerly desire to prophesy. He talks and talks and talks and then he goes, yeah, that's great, but eagerly desire to prophesy. I want you to get this. Why? Because it's unique. When God speaks in that way, it's powerful. When it's clear and spontaneous and concise, it's, it's profound. And the Bible's calling all of us to eagerly desire the gifts. And folks, I want to encourage you. That's already happening. That's happening in our midst. I thank God for that. You know, Bob Coughlin didn't start when he was 25 years old, coming to the mic and saying, oh, I've just got a sense that there's somebody here called Annie and I've got a song for you. It doesn't start like that. You start with first steps, just saying, hey, I've just got a sense that there's somebody here and I believe this is what God wants to say to you. And you sit down. And then that person comes to speak to you after and says, that was me. And you get encouraged and you start to realize, I'm growing in this gift. Just like every other gift, we need to grow in it. Somebody who maybe has the gift of guitar doesn't just pick it up and go, they're not able to do that. They have to practice. They have to realize, I've got to get better at this. Prophecy is like that. So I want to encourage you. When we come on a Sunday morning, eagerly desire the gifts, especially that we may prophesy. Let's not just wait for the worship leader to say, hey, people might have contributions. Let's come thinking before the meeting's even started, Lord, do you want to use me this morning to speak to your people? Because, Lord, I'm listening. Is there anything you want to say? We encounter God in song. We encounter God through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it's not like when the piano stops that the Holy Spirit leaves us. And we stop encountering God. We encounter God in the Word as well, don't we? See, we sell ourselves, I think, so short if we think all we're doing in this moment is learning about God. I hope you are learning about God. I hope we're all learning about God in the preached Word. But if that's all you think is happening, you're selling yourself so short and God so short. Because we're not just learning about God in this moment. 
we're encountering God in this moment. And when you realize that about preaching, it changes everything. See, in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, All scripture is breathed out by God. All of it. Everything that's been saying is, is breathed out by God. They are his words, his ex nullo, his exhaled words in the Bible. The book of Hebrews then, chapter 4, verse 12, says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is dramatic. This is a powerful word. And so when Peter says this to preachers, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, speaking of preachers, he says, let the one who speaks, speak what? Let the one who speaks, speak the oracles of God. That's what we have here. And that's what we have going on here. This isn't just a preacher, whether it's me or whoever else you're listening to, getting up and saying, hey, you know, I've been studying it and just want to pass on a few thoughts. This is a preacher getting up and saying, this is what God wants to tell us from his oracles. Because God doesn't want us to just learn about him this morning. He wants to encounter you. Because the Holy Spirit is busy at work in your hearts. You are his children. You are his beloved. And so on a Sunday as we gather, he not only wants to encounter you in song, he not only wants to encounter you through the gifts of the Spirit, he wants to encounter you through his word. You know, one of the things that I think can help, help be helpful then for us is to realise that when I'm up here or Brendan's up here or whoever else, really we're down here. But God is right up here and he's looking at every one of us and saying, this is my word. These are my words. Live under these words. I'm your king, I'm your father, I am your God. And when we realise that, I think it makes the Sunday morning moment slightly different. We're not just coming along and attending to church. No. We're coming along to encounter God through the song, the gifts of the Spirit, and the Word. We're going to be addressed by God Himself. No wonder then the Hebrew writer says, You know what? Therefore, do not forsake meeting together. Don't. Don't forsake meeting together because God's there. He's going to be with you. You need that. But that's not the only reason that he talks to us about here. Number two, we also gather to respond to God. We not only encounter him, but we also respond to him when we gather. See, when we gather, we are seeking to receive his word, and when we receive his word, we are responding to God. So when you're sitting down and you're making notes and you're seeking to be addressed by God, your worship is still continuing. And my worship is still continuing through the preached word. We're still worshipping here, and when we're receiving the word, what are we doing? Well, we're responding to God. We're aware that he's going to be speaking, so I need to be slow to speak, slow to anger, keep my mouth shut, and listen and engage with God in this moment because he's going to be speaking. When we spend time serving one another and encouraging one another and praying for one another, we're responding to God, aren't we? We realise that we're called to those things and so we gather and we respond to him in that way. And yet I just want to isolate for a moment and take a moment to talk about the time that we often call worship or the time of singing that I think it is more accurately. 
Because if we don't understand that primarily and fundamentally that is a moment of us responding to God, I think we can succumb to many errors along the way. See, C.S. Lewis, in talking about how our worship is a response, I love what he says. This is what he says in his book, Reflections on the Psalms. He says, The most obvious fact about praise, or indeed worship, whether of God or anything else, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honour. I'd never noticed before that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise, unless, sometimes even if, shyness or the fear of others is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses. Readers their favourite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. Players praising their favourite game. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps. That's a bit rarer these days. Rare beetles, even more so. Even sometimes politicians or scholars. Listen though. I had not noticed though that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. So true. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmists, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. That's profound. That's great. We don't often praise rare beetles and rare stamps anymore. But we do praise many, many things. You have a good meal and you say to her, Oh, this is amazing. What is that? Well, that's worshipping it. Something that's brought you joy, you respond naturally and praise towards. We do it with music. We do it with books. Brendan often runs up to my desk, literally runs up to my desk, and it's only like five yards, but runs up to my desk and says, Oh! I've been reading this this week. And I don't even get a chance to say yes, so I'd like to hear it. He just starts, starts, it starts, it starts. So I'll stop what I'm doing, I'm listening to the book. And he's so excited about it, it's infectious. What is he doing? Well, the book that's brought him joy, he wants to tell you about it. He naturally praises. Just yesterday, watching the cricket, I wanted Australia to win. Because I'm Australian now, we've gathered that. But New Zealand were were winning, and, and when they were bowling at the start, you know, one of the things that, that, that was very interesting to me, I was listening to the commentary, and many people would have missed it, but I didn't because I knew what I was going to be saying today. And at one point, the commentator says, you know the bowler, the New Zealand bowler that got about five people out really quickly? And he said, and he said oh, and as, as the bowler goes back, I can't remember his name, as he goes back, he's going back to the crowd, and they are bowing down and worshipping him. I thought, how interesting. There's no call to worship over the loudspeakers. Uh, as, he, as he heads back to you, could you worship him? No, no one's doing that. But he's bowled a small ball onto some small pieces of wood and the whole stadium then erupts and wants to worship him and they are literally bowing before him and they're saying, you're amazing, they're clapping him, they just say, you're, you're so worthy. And the commentator even observes, yes, they're worshipping him over there. My friends, we're all like that with many things. And when we gather to sing, what we must understand is that is the primary purpose of this moment. And is God not worthy of more praise than somebody bowling five wickets? 
Our worship as a congregation should outdo any stadium worship. Because if I'm right, we believe as Christians that we were dead into our transgressions and sins, we were lost without him, and yet in grace he arrested our souls, he died on the Calvary in our place, He bled for us, through him we're forgiven and adopted and redeemed and justified. Heaven is going to be my home and prior to that day, he keeps me and blesses me all the days of my life. I want to sing when I think of that. Exactly, amen. And yet so often when we come to sing, it goes like this. Come thou fount of every blessing. What is that? It's just like, have we had a brain snap or something as to what is going on here? God himself is encountering us and we ourselves are responding to him. And yet I think just like C.S. Lewis says, that only doesn't happen when we stop or check it. I don't want us stopping and checking it when we gather on a Sunday morning. I want us embarrassing ourselves before the Lord because he is worthy. And if you read the Psalms, that's what's going on. They're going crazy for the Lord. And if we realize that our worship is a response to God, I think it will help us. It will help us from just going through the motions. It'll help us from just coming in and going, yeah, you know what, this is all right, but oh, I don't know, the bass sounds a bit out of tune today. Or, you know what, oh, did you put the oven on? Because I don't know whether I put it on. I'll, I'll, I'll probably just pop home and check. It'll save us from just going through the motions. And our lips are moving, but our brains are miles away. Jesus addresses the Pharisees in that way and says, your lips are moving, but your hearts are far from me. It was a critique and criticism of them. When we're coming into worship, we want our hearts engaged. If we believe this, then let it show. Let it out. Because he's worthy of that praise. Singing, I think seeing that singing is a response to the Lord will help us and protect us from going through the motions. I think also it will protect us from formality. Because we don't want it to be formal, do we? Back to that stadium analogy. The guy isn't saying, oh look, if there's any chance, could you just applaud him when he comes back? Everybody understands instinctively, that was great! Yes, that was great! And yet sometimes, and I know it because I feel it too, Jesse's leading worship and he starts clapping at the end of the song. You think, oh, should we clap? Should we not? I don't know. I don't know. Just be natural. Let's clap because we've just sung about how Jesus is amazing. Yes, he is. We don't need to check that. It's a natural response because it's true. He is amazing. When we understand that we gather on a Sunday in song to respond to the Lord, it will seriously help us, I think, and protect us. Singing praises is a weekly opportunity that our hearts need. We come, as it says in here, in verses 19 through 22, into the very presence of God to encounter him. And there, what do we want to do? We want to offer a sacrifice of praise. Because our hearts need it. Our hearts are prone to wonder. And so we need to gather each and every week in song to remind our hearts of what we're really about. More than that, each and every week as we gather, he deserves our praise, doesn't he? He deserves it. So no wonder then this writer says, listen, do not forsake meeting together. Why? 
Because when you gather, you gather in the presence of God, you gather to encounter God, and you gather to respond to Him. The one that died for you, you gather to sing Him praises. Don't, don't neglect that. And then there's a third point, number three. We gather to strengthen one another for the glory of God. Look with me at verse 23. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know what the writer's saying there? In headline, here's what he's saying. He's reminding us afresh. You need each other. We need each other. There's a corporate moment to what we do. We're not meant to be lone rangers for Jesus. No, we gather and we actually truly need each other. But what I love about what he's saying is he not only gives us that headline, he gives us the details as to why. Why, why do we need each other? What is it about this moment that, that means it's so important for me? Well, he explains. Verse 23, if you understand the logic of what he's processing, in verse 23, he's explaining that we need each other because we need help in holding fast to the confession of our hope. Verse 23. We need to stand together because the, the confession of our hope, namely the gospel, we will drift away from that all the time. And so we need to gather to be reminded of that by each other, by the preacher and by the worship leader and by those around us. We're going to constantly forget the gospel, and so we need to gather so we can be reminded of the gospel. Verse 24. We need each other to stir one another on in love and good deeds. We'll get tired. We'll get distracted. There'll be a whole load of things going on, but we need each other to stir one another on in love and good deeds, to cheer one another on, and we need one another, verse 25, so that we can be encouraged by one another. When we gather, we gather to be strengthened by one another, to be encouraged by one another, to be stirred by one another. To be infused with the gospel through one another. So no wonder then he says in verse 25, do not neglect then meeting together, as is the habit of some. Friends, 2,000 years gone, 2,000 years ago, their situation was that they would get distracted as a people of God. They would get drawn into their worlds. Given their sinful hearts, they would get distracted away from the Lord. They would have a whole load of things going on. As singles, as marrieds, those with two kids and four kids and six kids and eight kids, there was loads of things going on for them. Loads of things that would be distracting them away from the gospel and away from Jesus. And so he makes it very clear to them, do not forsake them meeting together. You need each other. I submit to you 2,000 years on, we're no different from them. We're exactly the same. We're distractible people. We're people that get overwhelmed with so many things. We're people that move on from the gospel. We're people that are prone to wander from the Lord. And so we need to understand them. This is the word of the Lord, not only to them, but to us. This is then what God says to you. Do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. 
They're not my words, Sovereign Grace. They're God's. He knows what we need. He knows that we need one another. He knows that we need Him. And so He calls us to gather as His people so that we can encounter Him, so that we can respond to Him, so that we can strengthen one another for the glory of God. And it's so important then that we don't neglect meeting together, isn't it? It's so important that we don't just move on. And I think in all honesty, it's something that in our culture we struggle with. We can date the church, date the Sunday morning. Oh, I'll be there that week. Oh, that week. Yeah, birthday party, two-year-old. Oh, the week after. Oh, I don't know. There's like, there's this walk on, so I'm doing this walk. And, oh, okay. Oh. Week after that. Well, to be honest, we've got to have a really busy week that week, so we probably need to make shopping a priority that day so that we can really get ready for the week ahead. Oh, okay, okay. Yet this writer says, no. Do not neglect meeting together because this is the dearest moment of the week and the dearest place on earth. This is a priority. This is our lifeblood. This is our oxygen to the Christian family. So we don't want to be moving away from it. We want to strive after it and give ourselves to it. Not that there's never a time to miss. That's not what I'm saying. But the heart is without doubt, don't do this unless it's vital. Don't neglect meeting together. Listen, with that in mind then, and knowing how important it is, I just want to close with two points of application. Given the importance and priority of meeting together as means to encounter God, as means to respond to God, as means to strengthen one another for the glories of the gospel, two points of application that I think will help us as a local church. Here's the first. Prior to the Sunday morning, I want to encourage you, prior to the Sunday gathering, do all you can to cultivate an attentive spirit. Prior to even walking in those doors, do all you can to cultivate an attentive spirit. Alec Motier says it this way. He's actually talking about Bible reading, but but you'll get the point. He says, By hearing the life-giving word, the energies of the new nature are stimulated into action. Therefore, we must be quick to hear. We might wonder then why why the ever-practical New Testament writers do not proceed to outline schemes of daily Bible reading or the like. For surely these are the ways in which we offer a willing ear to the voice of God. But they do not help us in this way. No, they don't. Rather, they go deeper. For there is little point in schemes and times if we have not got an attentive spirit. It is all too possible to be unfailingly regular in Bible reading, listen, but to have achieved no more than move the bookmark forward. And this is reading unrelated to an attentive spirit. So easy to do that in reading the Bible, isn't it? I'm reading the Bible through six months. Whoa! What did you do? Well, I've read it in six months. Great. What did you learn? I don't know, but the bookmark kept moving. Okay. Do you feel yourself affected? Not really, but I've read the Bible. Okay. As he says, you know, if we're reading the Bible without an attentive spirit, it just doesn't work. It doesn't fill the soul. It's not meaningful. If we're not pausing and meditating on God's word, we do just know nothing else apart from move the bookmark forward without an attentive spirit. And yet I think we can do that through Sunday mornings as well. 
We can come in and be unattentive and do nothing more than move the bookmark forward in our lives and in our timeline. And we get home from church and say, how do you find that? Yeah, it was good. How did you find it? Yeah, good. What's for lunch? And it's like no big deal. Nothing's really occurred. And yet something incredible has occurred. And those that I've found that are amazed at the gathering on a Sunday morning are those that have given themselves, more often than not, to cultivating an attentive spirit. How do you do that? A few thoughts. Number one, recognize the importance of sleep, particularly on a Sunday night. I mean, sleep is a gift from God, folks. It's a gift from the Lord to his beloved. I want to encourage you, given the importance and priority of the Sunday gathering, on a Saturday night, utilize the gift of sleep. Because we will be incredibly distracted if we come sauntering in and then halfway through the third song you think, I've got to sit down, I'm so tired. And then before I've even finished the verses reading, I notice you're yawning. And you think I can't see you. I can see you. I'm not going to name and shame you. But I notice when people are like this. And you think, oh, I think you're probably at a party the other night. And then people go from like this to at the end, like, oh, coffee, I need a coffee. Is that it? Is that what we're doing? No, we're encountering God. We're, we're coming to hear his word. And so I want to encourage you, recognize the importance of sleep particularly on a Saturday night. Also, recognize the importance of practical preparation. It's real basic, but it's really important. See, as I said to you last week, I'm a distractible type of guy. I have five children. If we don't prepare on a Saturday night to leave home, often for us, between 8 and 8.30 on a Sunday morning, I'm in a world of hurt. So if I, oh, here's what happens now. If we're not prepared, because there's many times when we're not prepared, here's what happens. Em, where's Savannah's shoes? I have no idea. Josh, where's Savannah's shoes? I have no idea. Okay, Savannah, where are your shoes? 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 No, yes, where are your shoes? Okay, they're by the trampoline. Liam, why is your jacket by the trampoline? Em, are we having people over for lunch? What are we having? No idea. Should we do pizzas? Oh, a lot of pizzas. I don't want a pizza. I don't like pizza. Josh, be quiet. We're having pizza. Am I on worship today? I'm on worship. Josh, get my bag. Get my bag. Josh, Josh, is the music in my bag? Dad, the music is not in my bag. Oh my goodness. Ever have you had my music? Liam, why are you writing on my music? This is what happens. In our, in our home, if we're not prepared and ready, I'm going to come running through that door. I'm not thinking about Jesus. I'm not thinking about helping you encounter the Lord. I'm just trying to stay alive. And I think many people, whether you be single, married, with kids or not, You're the same. We get up and we leave it as close as we can to the moment I've got to leave. But we're not ready. We're not ready to encounter the Lord. We're not ready to respond to him. We're certainly not ready thinking, Lord, is there anybody that you want to speak to this morning? Lord, do you want to to use me this morning to prophesy? We're not thinking like that. We're just doing a hundred things. Or recognize the importance of practical preparation and recognize within that the importance of preparing our hearts. My friends, Sunday morning is the time when we want to be in the Word and in song and in prayer prior to ever arriving to this moment. And I assure you, if you do that, it makes a massive, massive difference to what takes place here. I've been in meetings numerous times where you will see two people together You will talk to them both at the end of the meeting. One individual says, that worship was amazing. 
I encountered God. I was weeping in that third song. It just so affected me. And that word, God, it was as if God was speaking to me. And the person sitting next to them says, yeah, I just don't feel we connected in worship today. I just didn't feel it. And the message, well, it was all right, but, you know, we've heard that illustration before. I just, I wasn't engaging, man. Same service. Nearly every time this individual has prepared their house before they've come and this person has just got distracted and strolled in and just expected God to do something. Friends, we've got to prepare our hearts and it will make a massive difference to our gathering. So prior to the Sunday gathering, do all you can to cultivate an attentive spirit. And finally, in closing, during the Sunday gathering, do all you can to purposefully participate. You know, it's so easy to attend church casually, isn't it? To think of church similarly to the, to the way we think of a school fete or a spring fair. Yeah, we'll go along if we can. What time does it start? I don't know, like morning. We'll see how we go. You know, are the kids ready? No, but it's okay. It's just a fate. They'll be there for a few hours. Oh, oh, we've been invited to that party. Oh, well, we won't go to the summer fate then. We've got something else on. Oh, we can go back to the fate again. Okay, well, look, it's, it's, they'll be halfway through a few songs, but that's okay. You know, the singing will be finished soon. But it'll be nice to see everybody, eh? Can you see how much we minimize the Sunday gathering when we do that? Sunday gathering is the moment when we encounter God, the creator of all. It's the moment when we respond to God in singing praises to him for all that he's done. It's the moment where we come to strengthen one another. We can't come to Sundays then just casually. So folks, I want to encourage you then keep giving yourselves to the Sunday gathering. Make it something you commit to. One of the things I appreciate about our dad is in our home it was just a non-negotiable. You know, I, I played hockey. I sometimes played at a decent level. I played for the county, got into the county team, which is like a state team. So, Dad, I, I've been offered to play in this, this hockey tournament. He's like, that's amazing. What day is it on Sunday? Oh, it's a shame you can't go. Dad, son. Now, as for us and our family, we, we worship on a Sunday because God's worthy of it. Oh, okay. It taught me something. Didn't always like it. But it taught me something about the way we see church and the gathering and the priority of it. Friends, we want to give ourselves to the Sunday gathering. I want to keep encouraging you as well to keep coming on time. You guys are doing awesome in this, by the way. Having talked about it at the church meeting, we are having about a 120% increase of the people here. You know, Try and aim to be here between 10 and 10.15. And you guys are rocking out the park. And I so appreciate it because a number of people, very first week you've actually started doing that, there was a number of folk came up at the end and said, that worship was so good. I said, to be honest, it was the same as the other weeks. But you were here really early. And they said, yeah, that's true. I did feel more prepared. I know. Worship's the same. But we've come to engage with it differently. Come between 10 and 10.15. Get your heart prepared. Be ready to communicate and respond to the Lord and keep then redeeming the time when you are here. Keep encountering God. Keep responding to God. Keep strengthening others for the glory of the Lord. And here's what we can anticipate, my friends. As we do all those things, here's what we can anticipate. The Sunday gathering for us will become the dearest time of the week and the dearest place of earth. 
It will become something that we start to crave and look forward to each and every week. We just can't wait to be with God's people, to meet with Him, and to respond to Him and see our family. We will never be passionate about something that we take for granted. I said, would we not take the Sunday gathering for granted? Would we see it for what it is? And would we purposely participate in it? And would it become the dearest place on earth to us? Let's pray. Lord, when we stop and consider what the Sunday gathering is, it is so compelling from your word. We don't just sit in a room in Fox Valley. We sit in the cube, which is your heavenly places. We gather before the throne of grace. You want to encounter us and talk to us and communicate to us. As a father to children, you want to enjoy us as we respond to you and you want to bless us with your grace where we need you. You want to encounter us in your word and in song and through the gifts of the Spirit. Lord, would you help us then to never take this moment for granted? Do you help us never to grow familiar with it as if it's no big deal? Help us to see for it for what it is. And Lord, as we gather then, would we gather humbled, amazed, appetites whetted as we gather to encounter you. In Jesus' name, amen. My friends, thanks for listening. I know many of you are melting. It's even hotter here. So let's enjoy some fellowship together. Oh